Welcome to the Ray Harryhausen Podcast, the show dedicated to the life, career and films of a special effects titan. Join us as we host in-depth discussions about the work, influences and legacies of this uniquely talented filmmaker. Brought to you by the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, we will be delving into Ray's archive to bring a unique insight into his work, including exclusive audio from the man himself. We will be joined by special guests for retrospectives, exclusive announcements and competitions. So this podcast is a must-listen for all fans of the world of Ray Harryhausen, animation and classic filmmaking. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Ray Harryhausen podcast. We've got a very special interview that we want to share with you today. And so once more, I'm joined by trustee John Walsh. Hello, John. Hello, Connor. And uh, today we're going to be listening to an interview that I made with League of Gentlemen star Mark Gatiss. For those of you who who maybe don't know who Mark is, you'll have definitely seen some of his work in Doctor Who, The League of Gentlemen, Sherlock, and so many other programmes. And as well as being a huge star on, on screen and on stage, he's also a, a massive fan of Ray Harryhausen during their recent League of Gentlemen Live Again tour, I was lucky enough to be able to catch up with Mark. So John, yeah, it was it was great to, to chat with Mark. A very interesting interview that you're about to hear. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Mark Gatiss is, he's a young man, so he won't mind me saying that. Uh, but he's also a national treasure. Um, for people who know and love Doctor Who, classic Doctor Who, they'll know that Mark has been a big supporter of the series before it came back brilliantly by Russell T Davis. Um, and it's, it's wonderful, it's a wonderful bridge between the fans... Um, people like Mark, who was an active fan, uh, a professional um, writer, performer, and being involved with Doctor Who, and we, we'll speak about that a bit later on. But um, and and also interested in that whole genre of of interesting uh, British-made horror, like Hammer films. We've seen documentaries with him on that. Um, he's a fan of Ray Harryhausen, which is why he's on the show uh, chatting to you, Connor. And he's just an all-round good egg and. To be a performer and to be a writer and uh, to be somebody who's who's a, a creative powerhouse is is really impressive. And and last month uh, viewers may have seen him on BBC Four with his outstanding John Minton documentary uh, about the uh, the forgotten artists from from the nineteen fifties and sixties. And if you can still catch that on iPlayer, I'd strongly recommend you have a look at Mark Gatiss on John Minton. But Connor, you were very lucky because you not only met Mister Gatiss but you got to see. The League of Gentlemen on tour, which um, which are not easy tickets to get. Um, how, how was the show? Well, yes, I have to thank my my lovely wife for that because she got me the tickets last year uh, as a Christmas present, and I, I believe they sold out incredibly quickly. So uh, I was lucky to get one. Uh, and yeah, the sh- the show was great. Um, I can't believe it's been thirteen years since the League of Gentlemen last toured. Uh, back in two thousand and five was their last live performances, and it it was as if they'd never been away. All all the favourites and a, a fantastic show all round. Calling back to a lot of the classic sketches and a fabulous production. So it was great to see the League of Gentlemen live, but even better as a, as a bonus uh, on the day of the show, uh, I received a message from Mark Aston if we could meet up for a chat for, for our podcast, which was uh, very nice of him. Uh, we were initially in contact with Mark because he very kindly retweets the Ray Harryhausen Twitter account and tells people when 
when Jason and the Argonauts is on TV or, or, or shares images of, of some of Ray's models. So he was aware of our, our Twitter presence and he very kindly offered to, to share some of his memories of Ray's films. So let's start by listening to Mark chatting about his memories of classic Ray Harryhausen films. It's hard to, it's hard to pinpoint. Uh, I, I'm almost sure it was Jason and the Argonauts, which seemed to be on every week when I was a child. <laughs> and it's because if you look back, you find it wasn't. It was like all those great things. It was a bank holiday sort of staple. But that's the one that absolutely got me. And uh, so I don't know how old I was, but I remember being more frightened of Telos than anything else. And that includes even... Buck, the gargoyle in Doctor Who, which destroyed my childhood and uh, so many other terrifying things. But tell us, was that the sound of that rending metal? I heard uh, the other day we were here in Edinburgh today, but the other day we were somewhere near a dockyard and I heard a screech of rending metal. And that's the first thing I think of. <laughs> I always think he's coming after me. Um, but that film, it's magic, that film. It's got so many brilliant things in it, not, not least, obviously, the. Uh, the story itself, which is just so entrancing, and that the brilliant cast. I always, I used to quote these things with my friend. Um, I offered him a ship. Turned down a ship of the gods. There's all that strange dubbing. The High Priestess of Akati. <laughs> I love all that. But obviously, the the big thing are Ray's monsters and the incredible spellbinding effect they they had on us as children, and uh, and the continued to exert. Then I remember very vividly going to see Bambi or trying to see Bambi and it was full and by fantastic chance what was showing in the next um, screening cinema was uh, Golden Voyage which of course was much better than going to see Bambi so I remember seeing that at the pictures and then the absolute thrill of of anticipating the arrival of um, I the Tiger um, so I've seen about 10 or 11 then and, the, and actually anticipating a Harryhausen film was a very different feeling rather than just them being there on the telly so it's a, it's a lot of mixed things mixed up things and obviously Seventh Voyage on the telly and stuff like that and and also the other one you know like um, Mysterious Island and uh, Gulliver and uh, some of the, the less celebrated ones they were, they were also part of that kind of bank holiday tapestry I suppose and the 1970s seemed like such a rich period for Ray Harryhausen fans because there was the two Sinbad films, which were a huge success, but a lot of his films were re-released at that point as well, so people could see Jason on the big screen and yes. see uh, Seventh Voyage even was, was re-released. So. I might, I, it's possible I might have gone to the pictures to see it because we used to go and see everything when I was little. But I, I, and, and then, it, as I say, it just seemed to be always on the TV. So um, it's, it's all mixed up, really, but it, it, it's... It's an effect that you can't kind of quantify. It, you know, everyone in Tom Hanks to John Landis to so many amazing Hollywood people literally got down on their knees in front of, uh, of Ray Harryhausen to say what he'd meant to them and, and what that charm did, what that spell was that he, his, his artistry exerted. As I say, that the fact you can literally see his fingerprints Oh, one million years BC. There's another one. You see that, and uh, I, whenever I first saw that, I don't know, but I just, I knew it was him. You know, you can. I suppose that's like seeing the brushstrokes of an artist. Mm-hmm. You know, there were 
there were other things which I loved, obviously like um, like uh, Land at Time Forgot, uh, Roger Dickin, but he used puppets, and uh, when dinosaurs ruled the earth, um, but it wasn't the same uh, because he was the he was a genius, and and the the incredible artistry and character he put into those those creatures, Trog in. Uh, in *I'm a Tiger*, is is heart, a heartbreaking yeah. character, like a sort of simpleton. I, I loved him, and um, uh, you know, as I say, you, you could just you could recognise it miles away. Now, Jason the Argonauts is actually fifty-five years old this year, and *Golden Voyage* of Sinbad is forty-five years old. How does it make you feel that old? old. <laughs> forty-five years young, yeah. By race standards, it's, it's actually quite a, a, a new film. Uh-huh. But uh, how does it make you feel that all of the models from the film that you've just mentioned? still exist and are still being looked after and are essentially in perfect condition for the most part, uh, apart from poor Trog, unfortunately. He was cannibalised soon after the making of Eye of the Tiger. He was turned into Calibos from, oh, from Clash of the Titans. Uh, just really, armatures were quite hard to come by. So God. we have a replica of Trog, right. we have his horn, but oh, uh, the rest of the model was used for Calibos, unfortunately. Oh, tragic. But aside from Trog, <laughs> especially in those later films in the 1970s, uh, the model collection is largely intact yeah. and we at the Ray Harryhausen Foundation are, are looking after the models, preserving them where possible and exhibiting them around the world. Well inevitably you slightly, have slightly mixed feelings. I remember coming across the Play School toys in the Bradford Museum of uh, Film and Television and thinking they're in a museum <laughs> and I remember watching them, that, makes you, that gives you pause. <laughs> but obviously I'm thrilled that they're preserved because that so much Film and television was regarded as ephemeral, and thank God people like Ray Harryhausen wanted to look after their stuff. And now, obviously, it's being curated and cared for by yourself and and others. It's a it's a it's a gift to the future, really, because it's uh, these things are so precious, and, and not that you don't you don't just think there they are on the screen. Here it is in front of you. I remember seeing the the uh, centaur from Golden Voyage in real life and looking at that fur and. It's quite remarkable to think that that was it. Now that was that was fabulous, and you know I I kind of agree with Mark. You know it was a special time when films were on television. Um, if it was the British television premiere of a James Bond film, it would be at Christmas or maybe Easter um, or Bank Holiday Monday. So in a way. Old people like me often say, you know, um, television has has, has has no longer has has the special moments, those uh, moments that gather everyone around, those World Cup moments, as we say. But um, it, it it's it's a testament to raise films that they survived on television and later on VHS. And someone like Mark can actually quote lines from them and 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 do it really well. I mean, I know he's doing it with a sense of irony as well. But uh, these films really meant something to uh, to Mark Gatiss, didn't they, Connor? Yeah, that's right. That's the impression I got was that there's a there was just a lot of love for these films, a lot of affection uh, for for the movies, and they've they've clearly seared themselves in, into Mark's consciousness um, for him to be able to to recite lines on a whim like that. So interesting to hear him chat, but also I think you know you're being a little hard on yourself. I think. Uh, People of, of your generation and Mark's generation do represent a slightly younger fan base. I suppose the next generation, the generation that, that maybe weren't around to see Seventh Voyage of Sinbad on the big screen or even uh, even Jason and the Argonauts on its first release, but were able to experience the films throughout their second lease of life uh, when they start to appear on British television. 
And so I think I think that's very interesting to see. As I said to Mark, it seems like the 70s were a very rich time to be a fan of race because you could watch the films on television, but also there was a few re-releases and you could pop into the cinema as well as the Sinbad films, uh, which were newly released. So that whole kind of um, genre of British sci-fi, and I think Ray kind of falls into that camp, even though the films were funded by Columbia Pictures and Ray was American, they were made here with British talent. So Nigel Neal was involved with First Men in the Moon. And of course, um, Mark Gatiss is a big fan, so much so that in 2010, he created the TV movie First Men in the Moon, and it was shown on BBC4. And his was, um, dare I say, the heresy of saying it, was was more in keeping with the original book because it was just two chaps who ended up on the moon. It was Mark Gatiss and the brilliant Rory Kinnear. Um, and it was the same story, but a different sort of technical approach, of course. Um, and that's something that you can find. You know, First Men in the Moon from 2010 is on is on DVD. And uh, if, if fans want to see another alternative version of it, and Mark was playing the um, the Lionel Jeffries character of Carver. What did you think, Connor? Have you seen that? Uh, I have to admit that I have not seen it, but uh, it's in my very long watch list. I've got a huge watch list just now of things to catch up with. But it's interesting that you know that uh, it's slightly more faithful to the novel and that it's just uh, the two men headed to the moon. I know that uh, in the 60s, during production of Ray's version of First Men in the Moon, they were under some pressure to, to introduce a female character. Uh, Ch- Charles Schneer and his production studio felt that the, the film needed an extra character to, to appeal to a female audience or to appeal to people who wanted to see uh, the lovely Mar- Martha Heyer on the big screen. So it's interesting that in 2010, Mark's version of, of the film was able to stick closer to, to the H.G. Wells uh, manuscript. Now, everyone knows there's been big crossovers between Doctor Who and Ray Harryhausen, with uh, Pat Troughton appearing in two Harryhausen productions, um, and of course Tom Baker famously being cast as Doctor Who after playing Kura in The Golden Voyage of Sinbad. Um, on Doctor Who Night in 1999 on BBC Two, now this is about six years before Russell T. Davis brought the series back for BBC One, uh, Mark contributed uh, a couple of, I'm not going to say comedy sketches because they are really short films, um, humorous short films. And uh, let's have a listen to the first one because uh, it's really it's really very good. And, and Mark plays a wonderful version of the Doctors. Yes. Hello. Can I help you? Yes. Um. <clears throat> I'm. I, I'm bad. You're bad? Yes. What do you want me to do, Bert? Stop us. No, well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, Doctor. No, uh, Doctor. 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 Ah, oh, that's it. You fear me now, Doctor. What do you want? I'm not sure. I haven't thought of anything yet. Oh. Maybe I should, I should I should come back tomorrow. Yeah, come come back tomorrow when you've had a chance to think things through. Yes, yeah. I will have a plan, and you can stop me if you can, Time Lord. All right. See you then. Uh, oh, oh, what if I were to hollow out the Earth's core? and replaced it with a giant motor so I could pilot the planet anywhere in the universe. Been done. For sure. Yeah. Oh. 
You're the expert. Are you a Doctor Who fan, Connor? A fan of the more recent ones, yes. I must admit that uh, the, the classic eras of Doctor Who, Tom Baker and so forth, were, were a little before my time. And of course, I'm of the generation that grew up with no Doctor Who. By the time the Russell T. Davis version, uh, the comeback in the mid-2000s, I was already 20 years old. So um, I kind of grew up without in a, in a Doctor Who-less world, apart from the TV movie in, in the mid-90s. Uh, so it's something that, that made its comeback when I was already a little older. But... It's you know as you say, the the era of Doctor Who corresponds so much with there's Ray's work and although Ray was an American man, uh, the British actors which were used in many of his films there, there's so much crossover and it is very interesting that it's a, another rich source of inspiration for creative people uh, in this day and age. Absolutely, and uh, what what you're referring to the non Doctor Who years are known by uh, Doctor Who fans as the wilderness years. So, not to over dramatise the terrible lack of Doctor Who in those drought years, but they are referred to officially as the wilderness years. Now, had Ray been making films today, or had Mark been born twenty years earlier, he probably would have found himself in one of Ray's films, along with David Walliams, who um, you would have heard in that first uh, short comedy film. And, of course, David Walliams appeared in Doctor Who proper, if you will, with Matt Smith um, in, in one of the episodes based in a hotel. But uh, here's the second short film from Mark Gatiss from Doctor Who Nights, where um, the original idea is pitched to the head of drama. Let's have a listen. Yes, Muffin. I'm sorry, too. All right, Sydney. thanks for coming in. Uh, pleasure, sir. I understand you have a little programme idea for us. Uh, yes, sir. Called... Drew. It's, um, Doctor Who, sir. <laughs> oh, I see. Basically, it, it's about a man who, could, who can travel anywhere in space and time. Game show, is it? No, it, science fiction, <laughs> His time machine is disguised as a police box, but he calls it a TARDIS, which stands for Time and Relative Dimensions in Space, because it's actually it's bigger on the inside than the outside. Been done, hasn't it? I'm sorry. Go on. Well, he's not a human, he's a, he's a Time Lord, and there's all kinds of monsters and aliens. We're looking for something to go just after the football scores just before Jukebox Jury. But, but this, is, this is it! I mean, it's a real family show. Oh, smashing. Well, how long do you envisage the show running? 26 years. Really? Yes. I've got it all worked out. The Doctor starts off as a crotchety old man. Then after three years, he completely changes. Regenerates, as it were. Yeah. Regenerates into, well, a cosmic hobo. And how long does he last? Another three years. Then he changes into a dashing dandy with a mane of, of, of white hair and a strange old young face. Well, who do we have in mind for that incarnation? Well, I've spoken to John Pertwee's agent. He comes free in 1970. Right. But we've got to release him by 1974. He's got Wurzel Gummage. Of course. Now, 
Now, that particularly resonates with anyone who's ever pitched to a commissioning editor. And uh, I can tell you, it's not unlike that when you meet people and have to pitch ideas and they, they feign um, they feign disinterest. Or is it feigning interest? Um, so that really brings us on to um, what we really wanted to track Mark down for because um, you had a specific question because we had a mission that we sent you on, Connor, didn't you, to, to find out information for something specific so you can reveal all now what, what happened. As often with these things, it was our wonderful conservator, Alan Friswell, that told me something about uh, the League of Gentlemen's relationship with Ray Harryhausen. Now, for those of you that have seen The League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse, the, the 2005 film, you'll have seen a fantastic sequence at the end, uh, a stop-motion sequence which is very reminiscent of... Ray's classic work, particularly the, the Hydra and the homunculus scenes from Golden Voyage of Sinbad and Jason and the Argonauts. Uh, now, Alan told me that the League of Gentlemen had approached Ray and asked him to animate on the film. Uh, now, with, with, as with many of these things, it's a lot of rumour and conjecture, so um, I decided to go straight to the horse's mouth and, and ask Mark directly, you know, did, did you really speak to Ray? Did you ask him to, to work on your film? And you can hear his answer now. Yes, it's true. Well, of course, we, we wanted to have a stop-motion monster in it, so what else would we do but ask Ray Harryhausen? I mean, I, I knew he was basically long retired but you you never know <laughs> I'm always doing this you never there's no harm in asking so um, we we wrote to him and um, we had this we've got this sequence and I mean it was obviously a ridiculous long shot but we thought we couldn't really let rest if we didn't do it and then um, I met him at the Empire Awards which must have been about 2004 or 5 um, and uh, you know I knew his voice so well from all the documentaries he sounded the way I, I want uh, God should speak I think uh, he was very uh, he was like he said oh you uh, you, you you asked me to do your picture uh, 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 it sounded like Jimmy Stewart it was something I love that sort of slightly hesitant like his voice was like hickory hickory wood oh I, well I, I, I'm very flattered but I, I've, I've long since retired <laughs> but only, I mean God it was like touching the hem of his garment was so thrilling um, and it, it, was, it was very very sweet and I, again I just gushed and said like which he, what he must have heard it five, every five minutes which is that he sort of made my childhood and all our childhood so um, so we did in the end um a company called McKinnon Saunders did our two. We had two. We had a, we had a three-headed monster and a sort of homunculus, uh, and, and then they were done with stop motion. So it was our little nod to uh, to Ray's legacy. And it was a, a wonderful sequence. And obviously, the homunculus calls back to the Golden Voyage of Sinbad. Yeah. Uh, and the three-headed monster, very reminiscent of the Hydra, mm. and you were, of course, the, the actor that was fighting this yeah. creature. How did you feel to to fight a spot-motion uh, creation? Well, again, it's one of those pinch-yourself moments when you find yourself doing the thing you used to <laughs> used to read. I remember reading interviews with people like Todd Armstrong saying it was so bloody exhausting, <laughs> and it really is very difficult. I stood there with a spear, fighting nothing for hours and hours and hours. And trying to choreograph where the, where the tail would swish and things. Do you think this is exactly what they always said it was like? It's really hard. <laughs> but I knew it would be worth it. 
And uh, just as we're speaking about the preservation of models, whatever happened to the models that you used? Well, it, it's interesting now because um, by absolute coincidence, someone sent us a link to uh, eBay or something, and the homunculus was being sold, and Reese bought it. Mm. This is only about last year. I had no idea what happened to the, the Hydro, the three-headed one. Get it vanished. It's probably, I mean, I don't think it would be destroyed. It would be out there somewhere. But, you know, that's that's only 12, 13 years ago, and already they vanish. You know, so, um, this shows you the... Uh, the foresight that Ray had in, in established in yes, his collection. He wanted it. He didn't want it to, to go. He didn't want to see his models on eBay, and even though that didn't exist at the time, he didn't want to see his models uh, going on auction and kind of no. being tucked away. He wanted the world to see them yeah. and learn from them. Uh, but that's very interesting that you saw your your own homunculus mm. appear on auction just because that seems like a very recent. Maybe Reese can lend it to you for the exhibition. That'd well, be nice. that would actually be really good. <laughs> that's the kind of thing because yeah. people that have been influenced by Ray. Well, you want the legacy, don't you? Yeah, yeah people so. because. We don't just see Ray as a step on the ladder. We see him as somebody who continues to influence. Mm. And as you mentioned before, when children see Ray's films, um, there's something intangible about them yes. that reaches out. Absolutely. I did a screening of Seventh Voyage in Glasgow, and it was all ten-year-olds, and mm. I was worried because they're mm. not going to. They've all got iPhones. They've all mm. they watch Marvel films. They, they might not pay attention. At the end of the film, every hand went up, and it was, "How do you make these models? Can you do stop motion now? How do you, yeah. how do you work? How do you?" I think it? that what punches through completely, and you know, that obviously things do date. The performances date more, I think, um, particularly the romantic bits. They, they feel like they're from another age, whereas Torin Thatcher and Tom Baker, uh, uh, etc., they, they really last, I think, those vill- brilliant villainous performances. Um, and what's her name uh, who plays uh, Zenobia? Oh, Margaret Whiting. Margaret Whiting. I've, uh, Jeremy and I, have we literally do this maybe once a month. Something will come up and we'll say, Not enough! <laughs> <laughs> Not enough! It never goes away. Um, but uh, but I can yeah. If if you get the right circumstances, I think uh, 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 children will always be entranced by them because they are charming. There, there's something indefinably beautiful about them. Which and you, you know again without sounding luddite, CG dates so quickly. I saw Alien Three recently again, and the CG that is dreadful. And and of course the. The, the first alien does not date because it's it's got nothing dateable in it in that sense, you know, um, and so by dint of of it being what it was, superdynamation, etc., uh, in its time, but it's 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 Ray, isn't it? It's 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 Ray that, that lasts. Well, that seems like a perfect way to to end the interview. Thanks so much for your time, Mark, and would love to invite you to our major exhibition in twenty twenty, which will have everything, all of our archive uh, at the National Galleries of Scotland um, to celebrate recentenary. Try and stop me. That's marvellous. And for, for Mark to be so generous with his time, to be so generous about his... his um, well, there's no vanity there, is there? You know, he was happy to say no. You know, he said no, but I wanted to ask anyway. Um, how wonderful. What a wonderful story. And... Uh, how generous of Mark to share the story, how generous of Ray to to have entertained the the gentleman. Um, And now we're hoping that uh, the original homunculus and the three-headed hydra will appear in our new book, Harryhausen, The Lost Movies. And uh, 
Connor, you have an email address for people who think they want to contribute to the book. What, what, can you remind us what that is? Yes, if you think you have anything which may be of interest to, to this project about the lost projects of Ray Harryhausen, then please get in touch via lostfilms at rayharryhausen.org.uk. Um, even if it's, a, as I mentioned, a rumour, a rumour about uh, Ray's involvement with something or something more tangible like a letter or a photograph or who knows, even a model, uh, please get in touch and we'd be delighted to, to hear your tales of uh, the lost films, the lost projects and the lost treasures of Ray Harryhausen. Absolutely. Now, the deadline for that is the end of October, first week of November. So get your inquiries into us. Or if you want to ask us any questions about that as well, that would be terrific. Um also, the last book that we did, Ray Harryhausen, the movie Posters, which went very well indeed. We had screenings at the British Film Institute in London on the South Bank and at the Regent Street Cinema, again in London, where we had the 4K premiere of First Men in the Moon. And thanks to everyone who came along and made that a sold-out day. Thank you very much. Um, Richard Hollis has done a terrific job with the book. And for those of you who don't know, we are on BBC Radio chatting to uh, Jamoke on BBC Radio London about the book and here's a brief extract BBC Radio London <laughs> But does it come to the point where I mean are some of these posters really rare and really expensive Yes they um, aren't they John you'd agree with that Yes They're absolutely very Yeah I mean there was there was a stage when we we put together all of the posters in the book and we nearly called it the million pound poster really? book Really So you know that's the extent you know think about when we were growing up, we would throw away packets of cornflakes. Yes. You wouldn't hold on to them, no. of course. And cinemas would do the same with old films. The film's gone, throw the posters out. So people like Richard and the collectors who've been involved in this book have really held on to something that's really going to grow. The thing is, is always is, is that question, isn't it? Is it junk <laughs> or is it rare? You know, like I look at it and go, oh, I like it, but whoa, you know, is it really just junk? You, you, you can never tell. Well, Christie's now sell these at auctions. So now you can put a price on it. You can go online right. and see what a James Bond Goldfinger poster sold for. One million years BC. So eBay yeah. and Christie's between them, you can find an approximation. And if you went through and added up every film in that book, you'd be probably coming out of the studio a millionaire. Okay. okay. Well, in which case I've found a new calling. <laughs> <laughs> Film posters it's going to be. Well, at least with this book. So you can hear all of that on our SoundCloud page, can't they, Connor? Yes, that's right. Uh, if you subscribe... To, uh, if you subscribe to our podcast through iTunes or SoundCloud or, or any other uh, podcast platform, you'll have seen the interview pop up uh, earlier in the month. So you can listen to the whole interview there if you, if you didn't get a chance to catch it before. Uh, a lovely chat with, with Richard and John, um, very close to the release date of the book. The book, we're, we're talking about the Lost Films Project now, but the book is still hot off the press, the poster book, and... Uh, released on the 6th of September, so only really uh, two or three weeks ago, and the feedback we've had from it so far has been fantastic. People really enjoying exploring raised posters. Absolutely, and now as we uh, as we sign off on this episode, we'll leave the last word to all of the gentlemen from the League of Gentlemen with a, an extract here from the League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse movie trailer. picture will dare to ask life's biggest question. Are you noble? The League.
of Gentleman's Apocalypse. Coming soon to local cinemas. Copyright in the Ray Harryhausen podcast is owned by the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, a registered Scottish charity, number SC001419, 2018. This recording may not be reproduced in whole or in part without written permission from the Foundation. The views expressed within these podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of the Foundation, its trustees or employees. For further terms and conditions, please contact us at rayharryhausen.com, where you can also find our Facebook and Twitter links.